Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Timmy Gibson Show. I'm uh, super excited to have back with us today someone that's been on the podcast several times, Fred Heron. Um, uh, what do I, how do I introduce you, Fred? Is it former evangelical pastor turned uh, prodigal pastor? Uh, Spiritual yeah, guy. You and I, I think you and I share the you and I share the prodigal pastor title. I think um, I, I in fact I just wrote a blog called uh, Prodigal Pastor. I mean Prodigal God, Prodigal Pastor, and uh, kind of unpack that for some people. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so I'm founder of Spirituality Adventures, okay. and I uh, I am also. Um, taking on a new project here that I'll be announcing soon. That's awesome. So, yeah. Well, I've told you this many, many times and I'll continue to say it. You're, you're one of the best teachers I've ever heard. Um, and you know, I've been doing this for a long time. So I've heard a lot of preachers and, uh, you just, I mean, you have a gift, you're, you know, you're a gifted communicator. So whether that would be in the, you know, spiritual Christian pastoral realm or just a lecturer, uh, you're just good. You're a good storyteller. You're engaging. Um, yeah, I, I've really loved uh, hearing you speak, and and uh, and I can totally get it how that you had started uh, that church, that vineyard church up in the Northland uh, years and years ago, and and had it grow to, I forget what what it grew to, five thousand people or something. Something like that. Yeah. So yeah, that's just. But you know, I mean, I, I know you had a great team around you. I mean, you know, I know it's a lot of things. I, I've I've yeah. I've been there, but, uh, you definitely have a real, a real speaking gift. And so, uh, well, whatever, yeah, whatever you end up, end up doing, I hope to, to, uh, you know, watch that, watch it go great and be a part of it as much as I possibly could. So, you know, my, my, uh, fiance soon to be wife has an unbelievable voice. Really? Uh, yeah. She has no interest in, in, and leading worship or anything, but, uh, but you know, she has her own band. I mean, that's why, I mean, she has her own band. She's released Sweet. one album already. Her second album comes out in March. Uh, this, in fact, I don't know if you're in town this weekend, uh, but this coming Friday, she is uh, headlining at BB's Lawnside barbecue. It's a blues, um, joint. Really? Yeah. And they have blues musicians. Fred, I mean, I'm not kidding you. Her voice. It's, and when she does, lead, you know, she doesn't lead worship, but like I'll, you know, I'm playing guitar and or learning, huh. learning to play what guitar. What time does it start? What time does it start? Seven o'clock. Okay. Yeah, seven o'clock. She sang Oceans and from, she sang a couple songs for me, just like worship. And I'm like, oh my Lord, if any church huh. heard you sing, they would be begging you. Yeah. And, well, uh, but you know, she's got a band and she's, you know, traveling, doing right. gigs. So that's, she's well, not may- looking to do worship, but. I may try to make it out there uh, this Friday. Yeah. 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 Well, Ooh, good. I'll, I'll send her? you the info for sure. Yeah. Okay. Text it to me. Yeah. 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 Uh, anyway. So yes, uh, you know, I'm, I'm real excited to hear your journey and I know that you've, you told, you've mentioned this, that I was the first one to uh, have you on a podcast post uh, to kind of tell your story and, and just kind of your first kind of coming out of the, not out of the closet, if you will, but you know, coming out, out from, all the stuff that you went through and, and, uh, and you, you know, I was asking a lot of questions and you were like, Timmy, I'm still, yeah. I'm still trying to decide, <laughs> right. You know, I don't have well, any I answers. Think, <laughs> I think that was about three years ago. I think that was in maybe like February of 2020. Yes, or it was. I'm not, 
Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was, whew, I didn't know where I was at. Now, was your head at yeah. that point, was your head spinning? Because I know for me, you know, my journey was a little different. I, my journey, even though our stories are a little bit parallel, um, mine began a little bit, I think, before yours in the sense of my internal just questions and, and doubts beyond what people normally question and doubt. I would say that began for me, well, 2010, probably back in 2010 is when I really started, you know, I was meeting monthly with Adam Hamilton, who, you know, is a shared friend of ours. And, you know, Adam has a little bit more generous orthodox uh, orthodoxy, a little bit more, I guess you would consider it a liberal theology understanding. You no, know, he doesn't necessarily believe that, you know, Jonah was actually swallowed by a fish and, you know, there's things like that. Um, right. and it doesn't believe in a, in a 6,000 year old earth and that Adam and Eve were the actually first two humans, uh, right. which was very, um, very, in, not just intriguing to me, but very curious to me because I was raised, to, you know, in a, in a evangelical literalist where everything is literal. The Bible is inspired. It's, you know, God breathed and, you know, this, it's perfect without air and all that stuff. And, and, you know, of course I'm reading the Bible and I'm thinking, I don't think that's accurate. I'm reading it and it's definitely got some, <laughs> it's definitely got some errors in it and definitely got some inconsistencies in it. You know, like there's definitely some things in here that, that we need to be honest about and really look at. And Adam really helped me with that journey and, you know, encouraged me to different books and, and all that. And plus just meeting with him and it just, things were making more sense with that perspective rather than trying to hold on to my diehard perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah. It just became more difficult to be a fundamentalist. And uh, when I let go of that, then it was like, oh, okay, well, now that makes sense now uh, if I don't have to take that literally. And, of course, now I guess I would say I'm a spiritual agnostic. You know, I, I still love the teachings of Jesus. Uh, I just, you know, I, I can't say that I believe he was actually God. Um, but I always tag on to the end of that. Like, maybe, I don't know. I mean, you know, I wasn't there. Right. So I, I don't know. It, <laughs> it, it, the evidence doesn't seem to point that way to me. Um, but anyway, that's, you know, that, that's just my yeah. story. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, it was three years ago, you didn't, you hadn't settled on much. You were still, you know, going through all different things. Where kind of, where are you at now? Have you kind of landed on a, on a somewhat firmer foundation? You've tethered yourself to at least a couple yeah. things or. Yeah. So I, I'd say I'm not an atheist. I I'd say I felt like an atheist and I had to, I've always loved science. So I always had enough science stuff in my head to, to think like an atheist, just from a scientific worldview you know, a materialist worldview. But then I, then when I went through what I went through, it, it was like, uh, it was just like the God that I had believed in. Uh, just, you know, the prayers I'd prayed and the way, the way my meltdown occurred, it, it almost felt like, well, if there was a God, it was almost like all the things I believed almost set me up for my downfall. And it was like, well, I thought God was my friend and how in the world would a friend do that for me and actually be a good person. Right. 
And, uh, and it just felt like God wasn't there in that, in my darkest moment. So there was an emotional component for me at that time. And then that got fueled by my science brain. And so that's what led me to question everything. And I just literally questioned everything I'd ever believed. But then I'd say now, um, I would say definitely, I never let go of Jesus in terms of like a person his teachings and that I love, you know, right. I love, I would still call myself a follower of Jesus for sure. And then, uh, the other thing is I didn't, I never really intellectually said, Oh, I'm an atheist, you know? Yeah. Um, I would, and, and by the way, the, the theology that I'm exploring now, which I've studied, you know, I've done a lot of theology through the years, uh, but, uh, is, is called open and relational theology or some people, uh, would be called process theologians, but it's a really great integration of like, you know, the, the evolution coupled up with, uh, spirituality, uh, coupled up with, you know, mental health and psychology stuff coupled up with, you know, just, just, I think I see it as an integrative, integrative whole view of God that, that incorporates a lot of things that are true that, you know, for some people don't always mesh well with, you know, God and science or God and evil, God and evil. How do you, how do you solve the evil suffering problem? If if God's all powerful and all loving, then why, why in the hell is the world like it is right now? Yeah. Cause that just doesn't make sense. That's the classic problem with God. It's been there through the centuries. You know, you can go all the way back to Job and, uh, even further for in some of the spiritual traditions, but then also uh, what, what we have that problem of evil has always been there, but then what we have now in this modern era is the problem of, of science, you know? Yeah. So those are the two big problems that I see when it comes to belief in God. And I, I think those problems are incredibly challenging and I understand why people opt out of the God thing. You know, yeah. I certainly understand it. I don't, I'm not there. It's not right. me, but I understand it. And I can, I read a lot of people like that, you know, sure. that are in those, in that category from scientists to philosophers, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, as I was on my journey, it just became more and more difficult again, to hold on to the evangelical fundamental version of God. Like, that particular, like a personal God that hears our prayers and answers our prayers and moves mountains and all. like, I just got to a point where I was like, no, absolutely. No, that God does not exist. That's not a real thing at all. Uh, but then I got to that almost like the bottom of the barrel and just thought, okay, but what's behind life? Like, what I really, even if you go, even if you're, you know, the, you go with the, the big bang theory, which is fine, but how did the big bang happen and where all the, the stuff come from, you know, and I heard a quote recently that says, uh, the scientist said, we just need, just give us one miracle and then we can explain the rest <laughs> or we allow for one miracle when we can explain the rest. But it's, it's like when you get back to life and consciousness and all of that, there are lots of mysteries around that. And, you know, I guess when, 
when an atheist is arguing with a Christian, they call it that, you know, the God of the gaps, you know, and I guess, you know, I still kind of wrestle with that, that, that something from nothing is definitely fascinating. <laughs> like that's a, that's a little hard for me to, to grasp that this just all randomly accidentally uh, happened. And yet, uh, I, I firmly believe in, in evolution and if all of God's creation, quote, quote, unquote, if God really did create, then there's, he just has a lot, or she has a lot of questions to answer because whatever happened to the Neanderthals, like if they were created in your image, why'd they go extinct? And why'd you allow them to go extinct? And why do not, why have 98% of all living creatures gone extinct? If they were created with a purpose and created by God, that just seems weird to me. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think when you go back to the beginning of everything, there's mystery there for either the atheist or the Christian or the Buddhist or the Hindu or the Muslim, you know, I mean, um, you know, you're raising a kid to believe in God and the kids always ask the tough questions, you know, like, where did God come from? Right. Yeah, it's like, well, Timmy, you know, God's always existed. And then if you're raising your kid as an atheist and the kids starts thinking about things, it's like, well, where did matter come from? Right. <laughs> well, Timmy, matters always existed. And yeah. so why is there something rather than nothing? That's a mystery to everybody. Right. Um, even the Big Bang atheists have, there's something there. There's matter. Yeah. There's material matter. And so, so there's a metaphysical beginning to everything. And, and the question is, is it just material with no God at all? And, and then the biggest question even for atheists is, well, then how did this whole thing over billions of years emerge onto this one little rock, third sun from, you know, third planet from the third rock from the sun kind of a thing right uh end up with a this certain living biological creature who now is self-conscious and like we're having this conversation absolutely yeah we you can... know human the human consciousness and self-awareness like all of a sudden this matter evolves into biological life and then that biological life eventually evolves into self-consciousness and we're having this conversation you're going like how in the hell did that happen you know yeah and uh and so that's a that's a question is it just material or is there is is god and material and this is is there a substantive dualism is what philosophers would call it is there both matter and mind from the very beginning and those things have always been mixed even through the evolutionary process right and uh and so you know it's not everybody has presuppositions from the beginning that are mysterious, you know? Yeah. Um, even, even your hardcore science atheist materialists still don't know where matter comes from. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that's, that's, uh, that's one of those things. And then, um, yeah. And, uh, I, but yeah, there's, what is there? Six major extinction periods yes. in the history of our planet. Yeah. And, uh, 
it is a it is you know the problem of evil if you take humans out of the equation death and destruction have been a part of the natural process from the beginning right right and so how you know this process it's so interesting evolutionists now or even atheist evolutionists are you know they've always seen the death and destruction and the selection you know the selection of the fittest the survival of the fittest right yeah but there's all they're also realizing that the, uh the survival of the friendliest is a part of the equation too mm. because organisms that learn to cooperate and live in community and band together have a better chance of survival right and so like one of my friends that's an atheist calls it survival of the friendliest <laughs> i like that <laughs> and because love and community and cooperation lends to greater survival chances yeah which is one That's of the values of i think that has come from religion in in my you know i still oddly i still go to church um and i still in, enjoy it um but mainly because of more of a positive encouraging message plus you know i, I love learning and and i but i mainly it's i like the community so so I'm curious, Fred, I mean, you're a, you're a, I would consider you nearly a Bible scholar. Maybe you actually technically are. I'm not sure what your title would be, but, um, so what is the Bible? Like, what do you, what do you think the Bible is? Cause it's, I mean, clearly, you know, God didn't write it because if he, if he did, then he's ignorant of his own in universe and he sure left out a lot of things and got some things wrong. <laughs> so you know, I can't think that the Bible is anything that was literally produced by an all-knowing, all-powerful God. It seems like a very human thing. But what's what's your perspective on what's what is the Bible? Yeah, well, I mean, if you go back to the beginning of civilization, uh, which which for historians that would be the beginning of writing. Humans existed way before writing, right? Right. Languages. I mean, there's languages always, but I'm talking about alphabets, you know, writing. Like, so, like around 3000 BC in Egypt, you had the cuneiform uh, writing begin to emerge. And then around, like around uh, Ur of the Chaldees, you know, where Abraham was from, around 3000 BC, you had uh, Sumerian language emerge, which then emerged into Akkadian and then all the way into Hebrew and all the way Egypt and, and the Akkadian early Akkadian languages uh, emerged and those cultures were polytheistic. Right. Yeah. And you can go all the way back to the early writing and there are sacred texts from these polytheistic worlds and they were trying to figure out nature and how to prosper and how to have good crops and all this. And, and, you know, humans have always been spiritual and kind of superstitious from the beginning. And so we've always had the sense of there's something out there <laughs> that might be yeah. influencing our day-to-day -day activities. And so they, you know, you have these whole theologies spring up around these polytheistic gods. And I think in the context of polytheism, you had this group of people that 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 are now, you know, the beginning of the israelite people the you had these this group of people that emerged out of the polytheistic context and started thinking about monotheism 
And really, Abraham was the father of all three of the monotheistic faiths. Abraham was the father of Islam. Abraham's the father of Judaism. And Abraham's the father of Christianity. Right. And those are the three monotheistic faiths. And I, I think that the scriptures that sprung up around Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then into Moses and the Exodus, that is a, that is a group of sacred texts of people from that Abrahamic tradition that began to try to write down how they understood God, how they were experiencing God, how God interacted in the world, how God interacted in history. And this is a very human community project of texts and sacred texts that have been collected and edited and re-edited. And so even Moses, though, is attributed to be the author of the Torah. He even the Torah itself acknowledges that Moses didn't write all of it. Yeah. OK, so there's multiple authors and editions. It's almost like uh, Torah, you know, 1.0 and then Torah 2.0 with the edits and all of that kind of stuff. And then after the Torah, you had uh some of the historical books springing up and some of the prophetic books springing up. And then, and of course, then you had this Jesus figure arrive on the scene. And then now you have people, you know, 60 to a hundred years after Jesus. Uh, and then Paul, even Paul's first book was Galatians probably written in 48 AD. So probably only about 18 years after Jesus died. But the Gospels that tell the story of Jesus were stories that were collected from the followers of Jesus and then finally written down the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's the Jesus story that's that's put on top of the Hebrew scripture story. And these, again, these are all stories and edited. And so these are human books right. that have been uh, collected and edited. And then ultimately the community of of Jewish followers canonized, like they took their scriptures and said, okay, these are our foundational scriptures. And then the script, the Christians added to those Hebrew scriptures, their foundational scriptures, you know, the, the gospels and Paul's letters and a few others. And they canonized and say, okay, these are our foundational scriptures. So now these are the scriptures that we're going to value for our community life, either if you're Jewish, the Hebrew Bible for Jewish people, or then add the New Testament on top of it for Jesus followers. And we have both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, right? And, right. and it, it formed foundational documents for who they are and what they believe and where they came from and their history and, you know, things that they believe. But I don't, I always see them as human documents who are talking about God and Jesus and uh, how to, you know, Paul's writings a lot of times, how to live out a community and, of Jesus followers, you know, he's trying to give advice and different yeah. theologies and stuff. And, and so I think the literal approach and the fundamental approach to those texts actually distorts the texts. Um, I see that even the way that the rabbinic tradition deals with their texts, it's what they call midrash. And so it's, there's an ongoing process of community interpretation as you live out the texts and i don't think they're intended to be 
quote written in stone for all time and there's only one way to see it and interpret it yeah well that because that's, that's what leads you to all kinds of craziness like nobody uh, absolutely. nobody knows that nobody thinks that like there's a literal six day creation in t- six 24 hour days i mean the sun doesn't pop in until day three right yeah so you couldn't have a 24 hour day before right. the sun was around you know and <laughs> there's just so many stupid things that you end up having to force onto the Bible if you're trying to take it literally. Right. And so that's my take on the Bible, you know, to say it in a nutshell. And I still draw, I still love teaching the Bible and draw on that tradition, but I don't, I don't feel bound to this very rigid, literal interpretation of it. Yeah. And I, that was one of the struggles that I had once I, was confronted with more archaeological discoveries and and science and and things that that weren't theory but things that were factual that humans like us homo sapiens have been around for at least 300,000 years that we know of they say possibly even a million years um which let's just go with the lesser and say 300,000 well <laughs> Like, where was God? I mean, we got, hey, we got, so, so we have millions this, of people on the earth. Well, and, and even, even when you go back into the ancient, uh, types of, uh, even prior to the homo sapiens, there's still evidence of some type of spirituality all pretty much along the way. Right. And that's, and, and that I'm uh, okay with, I guess where, way, yeah, so then, you know, what's interesting to me, if you think about it, like, so how old is Christianity? Yeah, 2,000 years as old. As a religion, 2,000 years old. So if Homo sapiens are 200 to 300,000 years old, then Christianity has only been in existence in less than 1% of the history of Homo sapiens. Isn't that wild? <laughs> And I guess here's my challenge, and I asked Adam this too. I think the biggest challenge I have is where and when did it become, no, this spiritual perspective is the spiritual perspective that everybody must believe. I mean, that's that's how I was raised. I was raised Hindus are wrong, Buddhists are wrong, the Jews are wrong, everybody's wrong, but the evangelical Christians. Yeah, I mean, I was raised like specifically where we were to convert Hindu, like nobody had the truth. This was the truth. And that just, I'm like, when and where did that become the thing? Because I'm okay with the more of an open theology and that there was some spirituality 300,000 years ago. So I just really struggle with, oh no, 298,000 years. We didn't know what the hell was going on, but. 2000 years ago, we finally figured it out and here it is. (laughs) That just seems so wrong to me. Well, and then even in the history of Christianity, you know, if you look at the streams of Christianity for 2000 years, it's really broad. And there's a lot of streams of Christianity and the evangelical stream is very, very new on the scene. So like, even if you take, um, you know, the history of Christianity, 2000 years, evangelicals have only been on the scene for less than a hundred years. Right. And, uh, 
Yeah, and so they think all of a sudden, two thousand years after Jesus was here, now this this little group of evangelicals finally got it right, and everybody else is going to hell. I know evangelicals think even the Catholics are going to hell, and the Greek oh. Orthodox are going to hell, yep. and the and the liberal, you know, uh, people over there that go to that church are going to hell, and you know they they think that they've arrived at the final truth, and now they're right, and everybody else. Is going to hell. That is just the yes. whole world is going to hell. Yep. Because yeah, we got it right now. Yep. We got it all figured out. It took us over two thousand years to figure out who's going to hell and who's not. But now I'm not going to hell because I believe the right things about the Bible and Jesus. That everybody else who doesn't agree with me is going to hell. That's absolutely how I was raised, and I just think that's the most ridiculous. I'm trying to be as nice yeah, as I can with my words. To, that's ridiculous. To, to try to gel that with a loving God. Yeah. Like a loving parent. Like if, you know, you've got kids. Yep. Um, if they screw up or they don't believe the right things, would you want to uh, torture them for all eternity? Yeah. No. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. You know, so, it just yeah. doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. So that's I'm that's interesting. About, if there's all, if there is a God, I'm all about a God of radical, extravagant love. Yeah, that's that's the God I want to love and worship and serve. Radical, extravagant love, you know. Yeah, I have to memorize verses all the time, Timmy. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, my favorite new verse is First uh, John four, I think verse sixteen. God is love. Those who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. I like that. So if there's a God, that's my that's my verse to camp out on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that verse. And I, you know, the, there's I was sitting uh, at Church of the Resurrection in their service uh, not last week, the week before. Maybe yeah, I think it was last week. Uh, anyway, I'm sitting there, and I just had this like epiphany. And I'm not saying this was a God thought. I mean, this was a God thought, but it wasn't like from God or whatever. I just just had something was said and, and my mind went trailing and I, and I wrote it down. Actually, I texted it to myself real quick and I, I text my, to myself, God is the best part of me, the better part of me. And what I mean by that is because I don't necessarily believe like there's a God up in the sky that's looking down over us. I, you know, I just don't believe in that God like that. But when I think of just within my own nature, you know, there's times I want to be kind and caring and generous and do good things. And there's other times I'm, you know, <laughs> tempted to, to lie or to cover up or to deceive or to whatever. And, um, I just thought to myself, you know, within me, there is the side that wants to do good. Then there's the side that wants to do bad, so to speak. And I feel like God is that the part of me that wants to do good. It's just, it's just within me. In other words, I don't know if I necessarily believe in a God outside that's, you know, standing and, you know, like I said, listening to my prayers, though I still pray and meditate, but I think it's more, I'm just trying to align myself with the better part of me and, and trying to align myself with the, the, the loving, kind, caring side of me rather than the, the mm -hmm. other side. Um, 
And that's just kind of where I've, I've landed. And, and I, you know, I've said this before, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe there is a God up there. I definitely, he's, he's not a personal God in, in that way. There's just, I can't, that there's just too many suffering children. There's just too many things that, that just won't let me believe in a, in a personal God like that. Um, but yes, yeah, some divine, divine something, you know, that maybe all of us have a part of the divine. And I mean, there's all different ways of things that I could be like, okay, I could get on board with that. And you even said something a little bit ago that I thought, huh, never really considered it like that. But what created all, you know, was God in the very, very beginning and has been sent out God's and everything God's in the trees and the grass and then us mm -hmm. and everything, you know, God's just everywhere. He's what holds everything together. Um, almost like the, the, you know, dark matter, you know, and I'm like, that's mm -hmm. interesting. Um, yeah, I think if there's a God, he's he's intricately woven into everything that is. Yeah. And um, and there's, you know, there's wrath, you know, and another if that's the case, if there is a God and he is woven into everything that there is, then there is a there's a divinity to creation in all of creation. So we, you could actually call that like if you think about the old idea of incarnation, you know, God came flesh and blood in Jesus, but, but maybe it's that the in God becomes fleshed out in everything. Yeah. Incarnation, this universal presence of God everywhere. And that there, and then there is a divinity in humanity. Yes. I'm just saying this is one way to think about it. And like, cause most of your world religions, like I've sat with uh, Muslims in the middle East and they believe that, you know, God, we're all God's children. Right. You know? Um, and then, you know, in Genesis, you've got this idea of the, you know, we're human humans are made in the image of God, which is fascinating because in the ancient polytheistic world, the only person that was in the image of God was the king. It was an elite term reserved only for the king. And when Jesus was born, the Caesar, Caesar Augustus was considered the divine image of God. Yeah, the king was the Caesar was. So Jesus wasn't the first person on the planet that popped up and people thought he was divine. All of the ancient polytheistic kings and all of the Caesars were all called divine. Right. But then if you go into the Eastern religions like Hinduism and Buddhism, they see the spark of divine in humanity as well in some form or fashion. And what's interesting about the Genesis story is that. It's the first text we can find in the ancient Near Eastern world, which democratizes the image of God. So it's no longer just the king that's in the image of God, but it's every male and female bears the image of God equally, which is for this day and time in that ancient Near Eastern. That was a radical democratization of this idea of the divine in humanity. Yeah. And I kind of like that idea that we all bear this spark of, of divinity, but I think even all creation does, you know? Yeah. Anyway, if there's a God. <laughs> right. And I, and I, I can align myself with that too. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just, I, I'm just so fascinated by how within Christianity, it, it got to a point where people said, nope, every other religion's wrong. 
and this is the perspective, and you must accept Jesus, or you're going to burn in hell forever and ever and ever and ever. I'm just like, where did that come from? Like, who came up with that and then really started preaching that to where that's such a common, again, within the evangelical crowd, you know, the whole accept Jesus or go to hell. Like, that's that well, was the decision. Not, yeah, but even the Catholic history, you know, you, if you didn't get infant baptized then you and you died as a little baby, then you went to hell. So that's why every Catholic wants to get their baby baptized because they don't want their baby to go to hell, you know. Um, so Catholics had a long history of of kind of some type of, you know, they had a hell, they had a purgatory, um, all of that. So there, there's a there are. But then like the Eastern Orthodox Church had a different theology around it. So it's not like every Christian tradition had that in it. But I think what happened then with. You know, when when mo when science, when modern science started hitting, you know, you can go back to how the Catholic Church responded to the early scientists, like the first dude that said that that the earth was, you know, round and revolving around the sun. <laughs> <laughs> right. They thought he was a heretic. Right. Uh, you know, but so it's so fascinating that there there has been a tendency i think in parts of the church and the church history to, to camp out on certain things and 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 have this sort of judgment and who knows maybe it's a fear tactic to get people to do what you want them to do yeah um who knows but uh it certainly is in parts of the thing and i think when I think when modern science hit and people started having Yo, oh, it's not demons that make everybody sick. Now there's germs. Right. You know, that's called bacteria. It's like, that's, <laughs> so, that's called epilepsy. That's not a demon possession episode. That's you know, just we epilepsy. We know that there's genetic disorders now. We know that there's bacteria. We know that there's viruses. We know viruses really well. Right. You know, so, <laughs> you know. And that's been part um, of, yeah, that's, and that's been, I had a discussion with an evangelical the other day about that. I was like, you know, that's where the Bible got it wrong. Even Jesus, like, no, these people weren't demon possessed. We just didn't know. They didn't have the knowledge then. And that's why I'm like, yeah. the Bible's clearly not written by God. It's definitely not divine because God would surely know that. Like, hey guys, like you need to correct what you wrote down because that that wasn't <laughs> that weren't that wasn't demons. That's a condition that you can have. You know, I mean, it's like, like that wouldn't be in the Bible if, if there was a divine, all-knowing, supreme being that actually wrote it. Um, so that's one of the things I've, I've struggled with. Yeah, it's not, it's not a book that was handed down perfectly. It's a human book. Yeah. And, um, I know yeah, you're wrong. I think it's great literature. It, I think it's great. And it's, it's, yeah, it's great literature. And as long as you put it in the context in the historical context text within within what it where it was written yeah you know if you put the creation story genesis 1 and 2 in the ancient near eastern context and compare it to the other creation stories and the other religions it's fascinating yeah and it says some really beautiful things but yeah. if you try to turn it into a science document you're going to you you miss the meaning of it and you mess it up yeah and you look like a nut if you, know, you, you, if you like turn Adam and Eve, like if you actually think that Adam and Eve existed 6,000 years ago 
and they had sex and then their kids had sex with each other and were committing incest. And then the whole human planet became, you know, has all come from that in the last 6,000 years, you know? Yeah. It's insane. It, yeah. You completely distort the text even of what it meant when it was written. Right. <laughs> right. It's crazy. So if, now yeah. are, are you much, are you familiar uh, much with, um, like Gnostic gospels, you know, the gospel of Thomas, the gospel of Mary, just, I find that another, another curious thing to me is that human beings were the ones that decided which books were holy or which books were canonized or like, I find that just interesting that it's like, you know, and it was men specifically men were like, here's what we're going to put together guys. (laughs) Yeah. What you, what you had happen is that the early you know, Paul started writing and then his letters were circulated and then they were, they started to be used as sort of guidelines for how to run the church and, and some theology about God. And the, the gospels started circulating in the churches and that was where you learned about Jesus. And, and so those were collected and circulated. Most people couldn't read and write. So um, they had to hear these stories by somebody who could read, you know, yeah, and they were still written down. And, uh, but most people didn't read and write in that day. And so, um, so they were collected and then there were, there were, uh, communities like the Gnostics that started teaching something a little different about Jesus than what some of the other Christians thought. Right. So all of a yeah. sudden, some of the Christians start saying, well, that's not what we believe. This is what we believe. Yeah. Well, then they said, well, no, that's, we believe this. And so early on in the, in about the second century of Christianity, there started to be a collection of, of books that were accepted as authoritative for the community and books that were not considered authoritative. And the Jew, by the way, the Jewish people did this with the Hebrew Bible way before the Christians did it with, with the New Testament. Yeah. You know, they, there are other books in the Jewish literature too that they excluded. And so what it was was a community of people, mostly men, right? Not women, right? Right. <laughs> who determined which books would be sort of the guides or the authoritative guides for for community life, for belief and practice. And then these aren't, these aren't included. So they started excluding certain type, types of literature that were floating around saying, yeah, that's not really what we believe. And so that, but the final canon of the new Testament really wasn't finalized until, you know, the, like, you know, there's evidence of it, like the Muratorian canon in about 135 AD had most of the canonized books that we have it, but really not officially canonized until much later, you yeah. know, 300 years after Jesus kind of a thing. Yeah, I find that curious, too, just because if if you give a different group, you know, take the, the men around that table that decided what was going to go in the Bible, like scrap those guys and grab another group of guys i bet you the bible mm-hmm. would be a scotch different yeah you know that well, i find that interesting if you go back to some of the early councils um some of the classic controversies over like the nature of jesus is jesus human 
Is Jesus divine? Is he part human? Is he part divine? Is he half human? Is he half divine? Is he all human? Is he all divine? All at the same time. Yeah. And then, and then the Trinity arguments, you know, is there one God? Is there three gods? Is there three in one? Is there one in three? Is there modal? You know, there's all these ideas. All these ideas were in play. And then, I mean, you're talking like three, four, five hundred years after Jesus, all of a sudden there were these church councils who started trying to decide, oh, well, you got you Aryan guys are wrong. They're, those are the ones who, you know, who who emphasize Jesus' humanity. Right. You know, uh, but you Trinitarian guys are right, you know, and <laughs> the Cappadocian fathers, you know, hundreds of years after Jesus finally got the Trinitarian formula. Correct. Finally got it figured out. Yeah. And then now all of a sudden, anybody who doesn't agree with that because these Cappadocian fathers are heretics. Oh, if you don't, but before it was decided who was the heretics, who want all the, all of those thoughts were in play. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> this is true all through church history. You know what? It's so fascinating. If you look at all the arguments and before it was decided who was the heretic, everybody was arguing with each other. And then the winner got to say who the heretics were. And, <laughs> you know that, man, I find that curious. I've also kind of wondered what will Christianity look like in 500 years? Yeah. If it's, if the planet survives, Right. Yeah, right. If humanity survives, like, I mean, there's, there's, uh, you know, there's, uh, people who think that our planet and humanity is in crisis, like that we might not survive in the next hundred, 200 years. Yeah. But if, if humanity survives and if Christianity survives, it is a great question. What would it look like? I think Brian McLaren's new book, uh, do I stay Christian? is a great little new book if you haven't read it yet. And part one is part one is the answer is no, you shouldn't stay Christian. And there's like 10 things he goes over in church history that it's just like, it's so terrible that you shouldn't stay a Christian. This is what Christ, this is Christianity at its worst kind of thing. Yeah. You know, then part two is yes, you should. And that's kind of like Christianity at its best throughout church history. And then part three, he kind of takes a peek into, well, what would it look like? If Christianity survives and and integrates all of the things that we know to be true now right. with it, uh, and it's pretty fascinating to think that way. You yeah. Know? When did he write that? Do you know? Uh, it just came out this year or in 2022. I I actually actually did an interview with him on it back in the spring of 2022 before it even came out. You know where you could buy it. Oh, very um, cool! How did you make that happen? I need to get. A, I'd love to have him on the podcast. Oh, he's 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 a beautiful guy to talk to. Yeah. Um, well, I can I can give you his contact information. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, shoot it to me, and I'll I'll reach out to him and just see if he'd he'd come. Yeah, on. and he know he knows Adam. Um, oh, good. Well, uh, then I'll you drop yeah. that name because that would Adam's <laughs> been on. You and Adam, of course, been on several times. So that'd yeah. Be fun. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I'll connect you to him. And okay. Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I, I got. Let's see, man, it was years and years and years ago. I read Brian McLaren's book, um, "Generous Orthodoxy." Right. And that was a, that was kind of the beginning of, of giving me just a different perspective. 
and kind of opening my mind to, I guess, the que- the thing that everybody should have in their um, understanding, which is maybe what I believe is wrong. You know, maybe what I think to be true is wrong. Just like, right, you could watch a certain news station and and you all of a sudden just, you know, because they preach a certain slant. And so you, you go, you know what, that's what it is. And then you get more information and you're like, oh, okay, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's not true. <laughs> or maybe it's not as quite like what they said. Um, yeah. You know, that, that was the beginning of, of my journey of, of, of unwinding a lot of what I was taught. And I've, I find, I find I just have so much more peace in my life and things make sense. Things are and not that I've got it all figured out, but it's just when I let go of certain things, it's like, okay, well now that I don't have to believe that everything in the Bible is factual and it's historical and it's a science document, you know, once I could let go of that, then it really freed up my mind and allowed me to, like I said, make sense of things that, that, as a fundamental evangelical Christian, I just couldn't make sense of. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that really, really, really helped me. Um, mm-hmm. And, and why I, I, like I said, I still remain spiritual just because that seems to make sense to me, but to say that this book and this perspective on this book and this particular denomination out of all of them is the right one. You know, mm-hmm. this, this mm-hmm. is the, um, and it's just, yeah, I think with time, that's why I think Christianity will change if not completely evolve into something completely, something else. And something you said, uh, about the theolo- theology that you've been kind of studying, where's that coming out of that more open understanding? Well, um, back when I was, uh, in, at Baylor, um, Baylor, by the way, when I was there, 79 to 83, I had very, very uh, theologically liberal professors. Um, and like none of them would have believed in a literal resurrection or a they would have believed in a resurrection, a spiritual resurrection, you know, yeah. and the power and the power of that death and resurrection concept. Right sort of the mythological concept of death and resurrection and even even in creation and science you know death and resurrection you know death leads to life right right in this circle of life that we're in you know so um so they you know they would have they and so but that was right before and right on the verge of when the southern baptist uh there were conservatives in the Southern Baptist that decided some of their colleges and seminaries were too liberal. And so these conservatives went on a really long, a couple of decades of, of the conservative takeover of the Southern Baptist. Right. And, uh, and so, but when I got to Baylor, it was super liberal. And so there was a type of theology called process theology and the father of process theology is a guy named, uh, uh, Whitehead and Alfred North Whitehead. And then another guy I was reading was Charles Hartshorn. And uh, Whitehead wrote a classic book called Process and Reality. And as I see it, he was trying to take evolution, science, uh, spirituality, 
the concept of God and, uh, you know, the best of, you know, like mental health and kind of uh, put that into a concept that worked with God and reality. Yeah. And so, and, um, and then that's developed into what some people call open and relational theology. I just released a podcast myself today with one of the, one of the top process or open relational theologians named Thomas J. Ord, O-O-R-D. And he, his three newest books, one's called God Can't, one's called Open Relational Theology, and one's called Pluriform Love. But there's a whole group of process theologians or open and relational theologians that are out there that are really doing a good job thinking through all of these concepts of God that actually work with with uh, reality as we know it. Yeah. So it's been a fascinating group of people for me to jump into. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it, uh, everybody needs, well, I say needs, that's probably not the right word. I find that it's a benefit to be a part of a community. I just finished a Netflix series, which I highly recommend. Um, oh, goodness gracious. What was it called? 11 station 11. Uh, if you, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. What's it called? Station 11. Station? Uh Uh-huh. Station 11. Basically what it is, it's if COVID would have been a killer, like literally everybody that got COVID died except for the few people that were immune and then the people that never did catch it. So it's not a zombie thing. I mean, like, it's like a flu that it's, it's a flu that's going around and it, it kills you. Like it, 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 if you catch this thing, you're going to die. Okay. And so just like it, you know, it was a little bit PTSD cause it kind of reminded you of the beginning of COVID how, you know, you were like, Oh my gosh, what is this? This is crazy. And you're like really kind of were scared of COVID. And if you were around anybody and they sneezed, it kind of freaked you out anyway. But this was legit because if you got it, you're dying. And it, it just takes you through a very modern look at if that actually happened, like what matters, what happens and what happens is one, you know, we lose the internet, we lose cell towers. We lose like everything. We lose everything, everything. We go back to just nothingness except, you know, you still have buildings obviously. And so they focus on one particular group that they were all at an airport and just so happened everyone in this isolated airport had not been infected, but there was a plane that landed and they were infected. So the pilot latched all the doors to this plane and everybody had to stay in that plane until they all died. Everybody died in that plane and they weren't allowed to come into the airport. So, but everybody in the airport, all of a sudden, you know, a couple leaders arose and then they started Who's going to do this? Who's going to do healthcare? Who's going to help with emergencies? Who's going to police, you know, who's going to help, uh, plant gardens. Who's going to, I mean, and the one, and the groups that did the best were the ones that worked together and worked in community and had a common goal and a common purpose and a common objective. (laughs) Anyway, it was just, it's a very, very, I highly recommend it. So I think it was like nine, it's just a mini series. It was nine episodes. Um, just 
really, really, really good. And it's also, there's another one. There's a lot of these kind of shows, I guess, popping up. It's called the, the, the new one. It's called the last of us. Um, now this okay. one's a little bit more like I am legend where, you know, they catch it. Oh, yeah. yeah. They catch uh -huh. it. And then this, yeah. and this virus takes over the body and then it becomes a flesh eating, right. you know, kind of not zombie, but kind of, but, but also taking place in a, in a very modern setting. So it's just very freaky. And okay. so when I think of all that, I, I think I heard a science uh, a scientist say this, he was in a debate with a religious person and basically what he was, the scientist said, you know, the thing about science is it's, it's true. Meaning if everything got wiped out and we started from zero and began to run these same tests, we would come up and come to the same conclusions. Whereas religion wouldn't, you know, it, it wouldn't, it would still come up with, thousands of different denominations and belief systems and different ways to interpret things. And it, there would be no one way. And, and they even said, you know, would it even come back? You know, would religion even come back? Um, and I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that, but it's, it, it was just, it was, it, 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 it asked some great questions. If, if nothing else, it asked some questions and I've always believed in intellectual honesty when, when contemplating this stuff, you know, anytime I talk to a super fundamental person and they just like, absolutely. There's, you know, heaven's a fact. It's a fact. It's in the Bible. It's like, okay, just, can you calm down just a minute? Because what if it's not true, but it is true. It's like, okay, but can you just, can we play a game here? <laughs> can we just, can we just talk? You know, what, what if it's yeah. not what you think, you know, what if you don't actually have to accept Jesus to have a good afterlife or what if Jesus was married or what if there is no place like heaven, like that was created by man? Like what if man created God rather than the other way around? What if we've put created God in our image and which I think is a lot of what has happened, you know, clearly the Bible was written by humans who were asking three, probably primary questions. Where do we come from? What happens after we die? And what's the purpose of all of this? And, you know, just like you said early on, like there's the rain God, the sun God, and then there's the drought God. And then we pray to God for the rain. And all, that's yeah. just all superstition. None of that works. There, no, none of that works. You can't pray yeah. and get rain to happen. Now you might pray and rain happens, but that yeah. was just luck. My thought is that, um, and you know, I think this is, if you look at the, you know, the evolution of God, there actually is a, there's a good book that I like by Robert Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, called The Evolution of God. And there's a few of these. Uh, Karen, uh, Karen Armstrong's written a book called God, and she goes back into the history of the monotheistic religions. But when you dive back into, you know, anthropologist study, the origins of culture and religion is always a part of the origins of culture. Right. Right. And, um, <clears throat> I think that people are living in, you know, you think about, they didn't, they had no modern scientific idea about what caused rain. Right. You know, 
why 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 are we in drought sometimes why are we in rain other times and i i do think you're right i think that there was a like they they started trying to figure out how they could get nature to work for them or how nature you know or keep nature from working against them yeah and 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 you know without any kind of scientific evolution you're trying to navigate survival with your tribal community in a in a world that is sometimes very hostile to you like i'm t- t- talking like just nature i mean sure. sometimes you know Sometimes your kid wants to kill you. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes your kid gets sick. Sometimes he gets bit by a snake. Sometimes, you know, he gets chewed up by a, a lion or, you know, I mean, you just think about all the things that can happen in nature that are destructive or, you know, why did a tornado come? Why did a, you're living on the coast. Why did a hurricane come or, you know, and you don't know the scientific reasons for any of that. Right. And yet you're trying to survive with your community. And, you know, you start, you start getting superstitious like Chiefs fans. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh yeah. Last time we had pizza on game day. Every time there's a game, we're going to have pizza. <laughs> so you, start, you start wearing the same socks and underwear that you did the last time they won a playoff game, you know? And, in- <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? You're not lying. That's exactly true. I have friends that do that. <laughs> So, but I don't, you know, so then, then if something works, then all of a sudden, oh, we got it. We got it figured out. You know, we know how to make it rain or we know how to do this or do that or protect ourselves. And so then they, they start developing, you know, theologies around kind of how they're navigating nature. And I think, you know, if you look at the face of God that's on nature. I mean, sometimes nature is extraordinarily loving, kind, and beautiful. Yeah. You know, a mama bear taking care of her club, her cubs, you know? Yeah. But then other times, uh, mama, mama bears devouring the baby of another yeah. type of species, you know, another type of animal or something, you know, and she's destroying something, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so nature has a face of beauty, love, and, community and then it also has this face of destruction and death and i think people tried to figure all that out yeah and put a put a superstitious sort of kind of face on it and and then you know all of these religions have done that through the years and is there more than one god is there one god if there is a god what is he like and you know did god actually show up on the planet and the person you know, certainly Jesus had some amazing teachings and, uh, you know, if ever there was a person that might, you know, that was ahead of his time, you know, yeah, with some of his radical teachings about, you know, not just love God, not just love your neighbor, but who's your neighbor? Well, like everybody's your neighbor and you got to even love your enemy. Like he was radically ahead of his time. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm just saying that there's, there's this hunger in the human heart to have a good life. And so, like you said, you know, you could summarize, you know, there's a few basic questions that we've tried to answer as human beings, you know, is there purpose? What is there? What happens when you die? Yeah. I mean, doesn't it seem like to you that you should live forever? To me, it does. Yeah. I I would love to live forever if that was possible. I mean, you know, it doesn't like the fact that you exist right now, 
like, can you, can you go backwards and think about what it felt like not to exist? Yeah. No, I didn't know what it was like before I was born. Right. <laughs> right. I don't even know when and I then, became conscious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you right, know? exactly. You know, get, God bless, you know, thank God we don't come become conscious in our mom's, you know, womb. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's dark in here. This is scary. What is this fluid going in and out of my mouth? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I, I do like, I, like you, I, I love Jesus because I love what I know of, of what is said that he said, you know, the love your enemies do good to those who curse you. I mean, there's certain things that I just think are, I don't know what the word is endearing or just awesome, but you know, I'm, I'm convinced that, well, any, like a man, a mere man could say those things, which I don't have a problem with that. The, the problem I have with Jesus being God is. I guess the the timing. It's like there's 298,000 years of of human history where Jesus wasn't even anything. So that's just very suspicious to me that if he's the be all end all, like he's the key to everything, why why wait 298,000 years? And people go, well, because of, you know, this and communication, it's like, shut up. That's ridiculous. That's the most ridiculous answer in the world because millions of people came and went, you know, came and went during that, during that time. Did I lose you? Oh, shoot. I I hung up on him. (laughs) I'm calling him back. Hey, sorry, I, I know. Sorry. I, I accidentally I had a phone call coming in and I, I clicked over and, and deleted and knocked hung up on you. Sorry. So I, That's right. I, I, what I was saying was I find it just awfully, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense that, that like God's is turning a blind eye for 298,000 years of human history, millions mm-hmm. of people, you know, come and going children yeah. like all this stuff is and then oh okay you know what maybe we should go ahead and send yeah jesus or maybe well, you know, you know. Think, think about yeah my brain thinks about this stuff too it's like okay well so let's say you're you're like me and you, you do believe that homo sapiens are that old and you know what would be the wisdom of god waiting till the last you know, little speck of we're such a speck. I mean, even even Homo sapiens are a speck on the history of the planet Earth. Right. And then Jesus is even less of a speck than that. Why would God wait all of that time? And then, you know, and that's a great question. I don't know the answer. And then um the other thing too is well, let's say if you are one of those fundamentalists and you believe that the earth's only what 10,000 years old and humanity's 6,000 years old. I don't know how, right, works, right. you know, roughly whatever they think. I've never believed any of that. So I don't even know what they say, but, um, but let's say that's the case. Well then, so did all of the human beings born before Jesus die and go to hell? Are they burning in all eternity? And then now only the people that are born after Jesus have a chance to go to heaven, that most of them are going to hell and burning in eternity. And then what happens to children when they're born? Right. Like the children that are the children that are die, do they go to heaven or do they go to hell? Right. Absolutely. Well, you know, like if 
if every kid that dies goes to heaven, then maybe, but then if you get old enough to make up a mind to reject Jesus, then you go to hell. Well, then wouldn't it be the most gracious thing to do would be kill all the babies so all of them go to heaven right. so that they don't ever go to hell again? Exactly. So then abortion is actually, actually a good thing because now all of those aborted babies are going to heaven because they haven't had a chance to reject Jesus and go to hell. You know, I mean, it just gets yeah. crazy. Right. And, yeah. uh, I, I don't know all the answers to all that. I, I love I that you're it. saying you don't know, because I, 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 when people try to answer like, well, here's why God didn't show up until 298,000 years later. Like, yeah. Oh Lord. I know that I, if there's a God, I want, I believe in a God of extravagant love. And I do, I do really love Jesus, follow Jesus and, believe that i love his teachings and if i get if i get to heaven and find out jesus is actually fully god fully man and the second person of the trinity god's son i mean i'm happy you know that's awesome sure cool. i mean that's what i've believed and taught for years right you know do i ever have doubts about that of course yeah of course you know i've thought about it from so many different angles right yeah but i still call myself a jesus follower and i still believe in god and i believe in that's the thing I love about Jesus. He taught people, love God, love your neighbor, love your enemy. Mm. I don't think there's a better way to live. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Amen. Well, Fred, I've, I've kept you, uh, long enough. I, this is a great, this is a great conversation, man. I really had a good time <laughs> and, uh, I'm excited to, to, uh, hear about kind of your next, uh, phase of, of, uh, ministry and, and to be a part of as much as I can. So I'm, I'm really excited about, uh, hearing more about it. Yeah. I come Friday night. Well, will you introduce me to your uh, fiance and yeah, I'd love to meet her. Yeah, absolutely. I'll send you over as soon as we get off, off the phone here, I'll uh, forward you all the information about the Friday deal. And, um, uh, and then, yeah, if you could send me Brian McLaren stuff, I want to reach out to him and get him on the podcast. Okay, cool. Awesome. Fred, I love you, man. I really appreciate you and uh, look forward to maybe hanging out and seeing you Friday. All right, Timmy, thanks. Uh -huh. Talk, yep, talk to you Talk soon. To you soon. Bye. Bye-bye.